two uninhabited Pacific islands. One will be inhabited by 14 British men, while a separate island will be home to 14 British women. Will it be brute power or mental strength that wins the day? Fine. A woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Uh, I think evidence begs to differ on that one. Sure, it's one thing to say that in a nice air-conditioned office, but I don't think I have ever heard a feminist point out the inconvenient truth that men almost exclusively work all the dangerous and important jobs that keep society running. I can survive without a New York Times journalist, but I don't think I can survive without indoor plumbing, electricity, or a roof. I find it curious, though, that feminists love to proclaim how independent they are from men on their computers and cell phones that were invented by men. Which brings up the question of equality. That was a topic of discussion in the Jubilee MRA video I covered recently, and I avoided it so I could talk about it in this video. Are men and women equal? The answer to that is no. The reason for that is that men and women are two different things that you can't compare one-to-one -one on their actual value to society. Equal is the wrong word. The correct word is necessary. Food and water are not equal, but they are both necessary. Each serves its own role. The same is true for men and women. There are things that women are naturally better at, and there are things that men are naturally better at. When it comes to raising children, men are far better at setting boundaries. Women are better at emotional development. Taught to kids without fathers, they are often all over the place and can't contain their behaviors. Taught to kids without mothers, they are often emotionally dead. What we have seen with feminism, though, is an overpromotion of women, followed by a complete lack of respect for what men contribute. And well, I think this show is the perfect example of why feminists cannot survive in their fantasy world without men. For those of you who haven't heard, this is the wonderful experiment in gender equality called The Island with survival expert Bear Grylls. 14 average men versus 14 average women on two different Pacific islands for six weeks. Both groups have their clothes, two water canisters, and some other basic supplies like three machetes, eight fishing hooks, and a first aid kit. They also had two days of survival training and were not supposed to do any other practice. So who will be the superior survival team? The men or the women? Obviously, both teams had it rough, but my experience watching the show was, yeah, men had it difficult, but they worked hard and pulled through. The women, however, was just a never-ending story of misery with one bad thing happening after another. They were clearly not able to survive without men, much to the anger of feminists who complained about this season. Let's get into the fun, but first, if you like the content you see on this channel, then consider making a donation. Viewer support is the best way to keep independent content creators independent from big tech, so your support is highly appreciated. Links to my PayPal, Patreon, and Subscribestar pages can all be found in the description. And also, don't forget to support me on Alt Tech. You can find the links to my Parlor page and my BitChute channel in the description as well. Alright. So the first challenge of the island is to find a beach to set up camp. It's a lot safer to be on a beach where you can see everything than it is to be in a forest full of snakes and crocodiles. Let's see how the men handle this challenge. It's 4pm 
With only two hours of daylight remaining, the men's priority has to be finding a safe place to shelter for the night. Paul thinks the group's best option is a beach. I personally want to just plough on and make it. I mean, it's going to get darker in here quicker than it is on the beach. Paul pushes on, despite the group's growing descent. I found the sea. <laughs> so that was quick. A few hours of intense stress, everyone pushed through, and they all made it on the first day. As for the women, their story is a little bit more complicated and requires more than a single clip to discuss. Their first mistake was that they decided to split up. So one group's going to go look, and one group's going to stay here. Who's in the go group? Me. Can I come? Yeah. Have you got your whistles? Yes, we're whistles. I can tell that these women watched way too much Scooby-Doo when they were kids. You never want to split up when you are in a dangerous situation. Even Bear Grylls says it's a bad idea. Splitting up your group is a high-risk strategy. The show says they split up to protect a fire they made the previous night. By the way, we're on day two, and the women only ended up walking a few hundred feet away from their drop points. Also, you can take the fire with you. Not to mention, you would either have to move the fire or make a new one anyway when you found a new camp. Did they think about this for more than 10 seconds? However, I will be fair and point out that some of the women said this was a stupid idea. Hold on a minute. You think that you can walk right round this island? We in don't the water. know anything. I think this decision has been made a little too quickly. But they split up anyway. On this first trip, they find a beach that isn't that great and they come back. So that was all well and good. But now with that success, they are a little bit more confident about their bad decision and they split up again. One of their previous dissenters, Jamie, joins them this time. More desperate than ever to get out of the jungle, the women are sending out another search party to find a beach camp. Seven women volunteer to join Fee on the trek, including furniture maker Kate, Abby, Fran and three others stay behind in their temporary camp to keep the vital fire alight. If you watch the show, what you'll find with the women is a lot of feminist notions of independence. You have to understand that the independence we experience in the West is a luxury. Being by yourself in a survival situation or in any dangerous situation is stupid. There is power in numbers. The more people you have, the more people you have to fight and solve problems. You also have to understand that literally no one in civilization can survive on their own. There may be a couple of outliers, but outside of them, no one is capable of surviving on their own without using tools or knowledge that other people have invented or discovered. True independence is a myth. However, I do think it's funny when a feminist screams about how she is strong and independent while her ex-husband is paying her child support and alimony or she's on welfare. In civilization, we rely heavily on the functioning interactions of people who have different useful skills. If those systems fail, most of us are screwed. If that happens, people are going to find out just how dependent they are on everyone else. If you want to succeed, your goal in life is to team up with people who serve a role that is complementary to yours. That's what works. What doesn't work is trying to do everything by yourself just so you can say you're independent. Independence or self-reliance is not about doing everything by yourself. A person who is independent is someone who pulls his own weight instead of being dependent on the group to pull his weight for him. That is what we should be striving for. Getting back to the show, 
This is the point where things start to go downhill for the women. Remember how the guys found a beach in a few hours? Well, the women are on day two, they split up, they found a beach, but the search-slash-expedition party gets lost on the way back. I'm used to being in forests, and I'm not going to be really happy if people start telling me I'm going the wrong way. The most important thing is that we go, and we go in a straight line. Now, honestly, I have no idea if this is right, but we've made a plan, so we've got to stick to it. This is actually the opposite direction. This is, we're going back towards the beach. The expedition party are deep in the jungle interior and have mistakenly headed north in the wrong direction from their temporary camp. Now completely lost, they're doubling back on themselves. Now all kinds of problems start occurring, the most obvious of which is that it's very hard for beginners to navigate a forest without walking in circles, and their forester was useless. Which means if they are lucky enough to find a beach, they have to navigate back to the camp and then navigate back to the beach. They just turned one trip into three trips, making their gamble three times as hard. Problem number two, the team who is at camp basically can't do anything like work on a shelter, so their time is wasted. In nature, you do not have the luxury of wasting time. If you watch the show, you'll see that downtime is a very consistent problem on the women's team. But here is the biggest problem in this event. Each team got a doctor and some kind of medical assistance. Dr. Piers was the doctor for the men's team, and his assistant was Barney, who is a paramedic. On the women's team, we have Dr. Belinda and her assistant, Lauren, who is a nurse. The problem is that the team's only doctor and only nurse went to go find a beach, while back in camp, a team member, Fran, is dying. Backing! I'm coming! Call the medics! She's gone! Out at sea, my safety response team are assessing 24-year-old Fran. After five days without anywhere near enough water, Fran has succumbed to dehydration. Now, I will give Fran credit because she did tell the medical team not to give her any extra nutrients so she wouldn't have an advantage over her other team members, which is pretty brave. But I keep thinking, how could you be so disorganized that you wouldn't think to keep someone with medical experience in each group? I understand that they have a medical staff on call, but it still takes a while to get there, and if there is any intense emergency, then the person who gets hurt is basically dead. Certainly, if there was no on-call medical team, this would have been a very stupid move. So the medical team evaluates Fran, and it turns out that she got dehydrated. Dehydrated when earlier, it was raining outside. Honestly, I know this is all hindsight and backseat driving, but I'm trying to be fair here. They had a massive water canister and a bunch of improvised bamboo cups. It's not too much of a stretch to put some of those cups outside and have them collect water for you. This is the first instance of several that the women get saved by the medical team. To which I will say, the men never had an injury so severe that they absolutely had to be saved by the medical staff. One got stung by a non-lethal scorpion. They called the medical team for it, but he would have been fine. The second was Will, who fell and ruptured a tendon in his arm. Will was evacuated from the island so he wouldn't permanently damage his arm, but if he had no outside help, he would have survived. The women, however, were saved multiple times by the medical staff, which I will get to, but let's continue with the story. The situation with Fran gets resolved, and the expedition party still has not gotten back after like three days. Convinced they're close to camp, Georgie and Lauren go ahead to wrecky their surroundings. We're just looking. Go back to where we are. No. Way. 
can't be. We are. The expedition party have spent all day in the searing heat, only to find they've walked in one big circle back to Coconut Beach. So the camp party decides to go search for the expedition party, and they do the one extremely obvious thing that the expedition party could have done, which was follow the coastline. The women at camp are finally taking their fate into their own hands. They haven't found us, so we've got no alternative but to find them, because we've stayed and we waited, I don't, I don't even know, two days, three days, to be rescued. Now we have to just go and blow our whistles madly to see if anyone's hearing us, and that's what we're going to do, that's the plan. Unaware of the expedition party's whereabouts, the five women are searching the coastline. After everyone got off the boat, they didn't actually make it that far into the forest. And yes, everyone knew that because of the first search party. All the women who got lost would have had to do was walk the coastline and blow their whistles and they would have easily found the camp. And I say easily because the camp party was able to find the expedition party within a few hours of walking the coastline. Even if they walked the wrong way, it probably wouldn't have taken more than a day. Just for comparison, I will point out that at the end of the show, two men, Kyle and Sam, got lost in the forest at night and were still able to make it back to camp in the same day. I will also point out that the fire the women were trying to protect went out, making the whole reason they split up completely pointless. Eventually, they find a beach to camp on after like a week. Meanwhile, the men have their entire camp set up. However, credit where credit is due, the women did make a fire on the first day, and the men didn't make one until day two. I don't want to sound too cocky too early. No, I don't think we should. I don't think we should at all. No. But right now, this we're, is... We're winning. Although, once the men's fire is made, it never goes out. The entire six weeks. The women's fire, however, goes out multiple times and they could not restart it. This leads us to the second time the women had to get saved. The women have now been without water for more than 48 hours, and they are dangerously dehydrated. Their situation is now beyond critical. Medical advice is that the castaways are now so critically dehydrated that within a few hours, their lives will genuinely be in danger. So really, I've got no choice but to intervene. And the women will be given a working bow drill set. So we have women cheering about how they are doing better than the men by making their first fire so quickly, but shortly thereafter, in the first week, one of their team members, Fran, would have died without medical assistance, and by week two, their whole team would have died of dehydration because they didn't have a fire. For reference, you can survive about three days without water, but keep in mind that they are on a tropical island that is commonly over 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Dehydration is a reoccurring problem for the women. Now, I haven't mentioned this, but anyone is allowed to leave the island anytime they want. At this point, three out of the 14 men have left voluntarily, and two out of the 14 women are gone. One voluntarily, and Fran from earlier, was evacuated because of medical issues. Both teams ended up losing four people by the end of six weeks, so they were even on that. That being said, let's move on to the next issue. There are multiple cases in the show where things are just given to the women, and the women take no initiative to grab it. This brings us to nature's biggest handout in the show, which are two piglets that just walk onto the women's beach camp. There's a pig! Pig! There! Pig! 
all they've eaten in a week are a few handfuls of yucca and coconut. We've got two of the cutest little piglets here. Their little tails wag like dogs are so cute. Everything that moves on the island really should be seen as a potential source of food, and that includes the pigs. Oh, you're so cute. Come here, Sage. <laughs> Keep in mind that these women have basically had no food for over a week, and they are in a situation where they could die of starvation. It's not just that, but also the fact that you get weak when you don't eat after a few days, which makes every activity more and more dangerous. With that said, instead of turning those pigs into food, they befriend them. They sleep with the pigs, they feed the pigs, they comb the pigs' hair, they turn them into pets and name them sage and onion. They pretty much do everything with the pigs except eat them. Then, even worse, they determined that the beach that they were on wasn't that great, so they moved to another beach, and they leave the pigs at the old beach. Bye, Sage! Bye, Onion! Look at us, we look like savannas! The editor must have been laughing uncontrollably when he put the clip of them leaving the pigs, followed by one of them saying, We look like survivors! It wasn't me who did that, I just trimmed out a few seconds. But wait, there's more! They leave the pigs on the old beach, the pigs follow them to the new camp, and they still don't eat the pigs. This whole situation reminded me of when I did that video on Naked and Afraid about Cassie and Forrest. I only covered that one episode of the show, but I watched two seasons of it to know what a typical episode looks like. A very common problem on that show was that the women would refuse to kill animals to eat, even if they weren't vegetarian. Keep in mind that if you go on Naked and Afraid, you're supposed to be a survival expert. Well, at least in the first two seasons they were supposed to be. So even the trained women will commonly refuse to do the work to provide the food they have no problem with buying at the store in a fancy package. The women on the island were the same way. The fate of Sage and Onion hangs in the balance. The women have befriended them and now can't agree whether or not to eat them. I am hungry. I don't think I could look into his little piggy eyes and then kill him. At this point in the show, the men had to run out and go find their food. They were able to successfully capture a crocodile, while the women had food just walk up to them, and they were unwilling to do what it takes to survive. And I think this brings up an interesting point that holds a lot of people back. This happens everywhere, but I see it on YouTube all the time, so that's the example I'm going to go with. YouTubers will say things like, I don't want to create interesting titles, that's clickbait. Look, that's fine, but have fun getting like one-tenth of the viewers because your title isn't good. And I literally mean that a bad title will harm you that much. Not to mention there are plenty of ways to make good titles without lying to your viewers. But that's a skill that you have to practice. Not putting the work in to learn how to attract an audience says to me that you don't want to put the time in or make the sacrifices it takes to be successful. If you are going to survive on an island where there aren't enough plants to sustain you, then you need to hunt or you will die. None of the women were willing to kill except for Lauren the nurse. Everyone but Lauren and Jamie, who was a vegetarian and only ate plants, should be ashamed of themselves for eating meat without being willing to do the dirty work themselves. So Lauren does eventually kill the two piglets, and the women finally get to eat. Except for Jamie, the vegetarian. Now there are some questions that people had about the show that I certainly have as well. For example, how exactly do two domesticated pigs just suddenly walk up onto the women's camp without a care in the world when the women were starving. Also curious, there were two piglets from an earlier scene the women found by chance 
but ignored because their mom was around and they were afraid of being attacked. However, just a few minutes later into the episode, two very similar-looking piglets show up without a mom to protect them. That's very questionable, but I don't have any evidence to say that the producers released those pigs to help out the women. However, Bear Grylls admitted that the show stocked the island with different animals, so everything there wasn't entirely native. But then, people also found it strange that this fully grown pig was just laying out there in the open, not caught in the trap, perfectly fine with a bunch of people walking up to it. There, 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 there. You see it? Oh, yeah. A hunting party led by Lauren has stumbled across a sleeping pig in the middle of the jungle. People were saying that the pig was drugged, and that's why the women were able to catch it. But I have a different explanation for why it put up so little resistance. Later, the women found out that the pig was full of ticks. The pig was probably half dead when they tried to capture it, which is why it didn't make much of an effort to run away. So I will give the women credit for catching that one. However, this leads us to our third crisis, outside of their camp now being infested with ticks. For some reason, the women decide to preserve the pig leftovers in one of their water canisters and bury it underground. This didn't work, and all the women got sick the next day from eating rotten meat, except for Jamie, the vegetarian. It's at this point they make their most disastrous screw-up that would have killed everyone if the emergency medical team didn't help them. The women took the water canister, which was full of rotten pig, and instead of trying to sanitize it, they threw it away. With the preserved pork no longer edible, the women removed the pig's remains and jerry can of putrid meat from the camp. Unconvinced they could salvage a rancid jerry can and use it to purify the water again, the women throw it away. Now with only one jerry can to produce all their water, the women are unknowingly heading towards a dehydration crisis. What were they thinking? This messed up their entire filtration system and cut the amount of water they could produce in half. The women used one canister to filter the water and one canister to boil it. By the way, speaking of the men, they had a far more sophisticated water filtration system than the women did that resulted in cleaner water and the men never seemed to have a problem with dehydration. I don't want to drink the water. It's a drink it. Then you go. Then you vomit. Have you learned to hate drinking warm water? Actually, it's, it's good. It's really good. And it, the sauce is just you, don't, you don't have to kind of just knock it back. It's decent water. Yeah. The water was not an issue. Yeah. And actually, dehydration was your own fault rather than lack of water. Yeah. So, the women threw away their water canister, which halved their water supply, and now they're all dehydrated. Really? How hard is it to wash the container out in the ocean, let it air out in the sun, and boil water in it to kill the rest of the bacteria. You've been boiling water to kill bacteria the entire time you've been on the island. A little while later, all the women almost died and had to be saved by the medical team. This medical visit came with the extremely obvious advice, which was telling the women to sanitize the dirty canister. You can hear the medical team's eyes rolling when they say this. Your bodies are just starting to fail at this point. 
Now, there's no easy way to say this. Um, I'm teetering right on the brink of pulling you all off the island for medical reasons, over. The solution is... Use the other jerry can. I can't say it any other way. So the women don't die of dehydration, and later in the episode, one of the women gets a random ship that passes by to give her a free fish. You have fish? Get a fish. One fish? He's gonna throw it! Oh, oh. you're very, very kind. Whoa! <laughs> now I think that is a barracuda. We got a fish! Yeah! Oh my god, it's massive! Okay, that's totally not cheating. Now, another thing you will notice if you watch this season, by the way, it's season two, and it's free if you have Amazon Prime, but if you watch it, you will see that one of the big problems the women have is laziness. I think someone forgot to tell them that this is survival. You are supposed to work from the time the sun comes up until the sun goes down and you can't see anymore. If you watch the men, they barely had any downtime or vast periods of slacking off until the last day. But with the women, Bear's first perception of them was that they were too busy chatting instead of moving forward. You know, it's four o'clock. It's going to get dark here in a couple of hours. And already, you know, they've been... 15 minutes, chat, chat, chat on the beach. They need to work hard, get moving. That wasn't just a problem they had on the first day. Here's more slacking off from the women. 2 p.m., Julie is still fishing, whilst the rest of the women are more interested in sunbathing and relaxing on the beach. Oh, this is why we came here. This bay is an absolute dream, isn't it? Beth and Lauren wake to discover none of the other women have done any work. We stayed up, we cooked breakfast for everybody, we cooked supper for everybody, and then we needed a kind of a little bit of a break today, and because we've had a break, everybody else has had a fucking break, and nothing's happened. Keep in mind that the previous clip comes from the same episode where they were all dying of dehydration, and it continues up until the final week. Here is Belinda, the doctor, splashing around in the water with Jamie, instead of working when everyone is starving and dehydrated. While the rest of the group toil away on the bed shelter, Jamie and Belinda decide to take the afternoon off. After watching the show, my thought was that they wouldn't have had half of the problems they did if they just worked harder. That, and my final point, which was that there was zero leadership on the women's island whatsoever. From day one, the women have governed themselves in a leaderless community, trying to make group decisions. What, was there not enough wood? Have you ran out of wood now? We ran out of wood last night and everyone went You're to You're joking. There's no leader. Not one person rules the roost. We work collectively. So if, say, I want to go foraging, I don't have to be told to go foraging. I'm going to go foraging. All the decisions we've made thus far have been made collaboratively. We've not needed to conform to a system where there's a leader. So how's that working for you? My understanding is that you have all almost died twice. As I said, being independent and doing whatever you want is a luxury afforded to you by living in a first world country. You need leadership and you need someone to set goals for the group. Even if those goals aren't that great, it's better that you're working towards something rather than working towards nothing. And of course, lesser goals can always be tossed out as better ones are found. However, the women were rather good at doing nothing, partially because they had no direction, and they should have decided on a leader right away. 
Both the men and the women failed to do that within the first few days. As for the men, although it wasn't really talked about, I believe they eventually established Will, the guy who ruptured a tendon and had to be evacuated, as their leader. Leaders decide on goals, and you need to have a goal to run a functioning group. You need to have goals to run a functioning life. You can't just follow your bliss and only forage when you want to forage. Survival and success are about getting yourself to do a bunch of things you don't want to do, not about doing whatever you want when it's convenient for you to do so. The second thing leaders do, especially if they are smart, is divide labor so that people are set in the roles they are best at. You have 14 people, but you don't need 14 fishers. Someone has to fish, someone has to collect water, someone has to keep the fire alive, and someone has to build shelter. It's up to the leader to decide who is best to handle those jobs. Last, leaders are there to handle conflict and ensure people get along. Conflict will kill a group, which surprisingly was pretty well displayed in the first episode of The Men's Island as it caused one of their very useful builders to leave. Remember, I did say the men had their struggles too, though conflict was a pretty big problem on the women's island as well. Eventually, the women come to their senses and make Lauren the leader. To me, Lauren was the clear choice because she says things like this. I will not let people see that I'm feeling just as weak as them because I actually feel like some people need strength in other people to keep them going, and I'm determined to be that person. Personally, I think this is one of the few good decisions that the women made. A leader is the person who goes first. That's why it's called a leader they lead. Lauren was the first to kill an animal so they could all eat when no one else wanted to. Actually, outside of a few fish at the very end, I don't remember any of the women except for Lauren killing anything for food. Lauren was also the only one on the team who had any meaningful survival experience. In a podcast recorded over a year after the show was filmed, Lauren states that she joined a competition to row across the Atlantic Ocean where she was stuck in a boat with one friend for over three months. About a month of that was just them trying to survive while they were waiting for help because their boat broke. She didn't finish the race, but she went back after the island and did the race again and got second place. It takes a heavy amount of grit to do that. Anyway, things immediately got better once the women established a leader, and they actually started getting stuff done in the last week. Also, for some reason, they chose this person, Beth, as a leader too, but as far as what we can see on the show, Lauren pretty much did all the work leading. So now, we are at the end of the show. The men made it on the island for six weeks, and the women sort of made it on the island for six weeks. I did, however, find it funny that both groups went right to gender stereotypes. The men were primarily focused on hunting for food, while the women were primarily focused on gathering. At the end of the six weeks, each team showed off their camps to Bear Grylls. The men's camp was very utilitarian, while the women's camp was very decorated and made over. One more thing, the women slept communally, while the men slept individually. So this show turned out to be a real win for feminism on breaking gender stereotypes. By the way, there were more examples on them conforming to stereotypes than the ones I gave. Another win for feminism is that Ruth England called season one of the show sexist because only men were allowed on that season. She said it portrayed the notion that women needed to be helped to survive. Well, seeing that the women almost died twice throughout the six weeks and almost had their team member Fran die in the first week, 
I don't see how Ruth England's notion that average women can survive without men is proven. So many people watched that first series and said, ah, oh, you know, women would have done much better. They would have multitasked. They wouldn't have had the ego. Still, the show went to great lengths at the end to make the women seem better than they were. If I hadn't turned up today, and I turned up in six months, I bet these guys would be in pretty good shape. And I knew it. I knew the stereotype is wrong, you know? But I knew they could nail this. Wow, the pandering is strong here. There is no way they would have made it six months. How about this? What if we just accepted that men and women have certain limitations and moved on with our lives? Now for this last part, I want to talk a little bit about the men. They didn't have much drama, but there was one really interesting episode the men had that I think brings up something very valuable. To say this euphemistically, the men's team had some very strong personalities. As I said before, one member, Paul, left the island because he couldn't get along with another team member who also ended up leaving the island. Vic, who manages a cleaning company, also had a strong personality, which made him very judgmental of the people he felt were slacking off. They actually created three episodes out of this based on Vic, probably because it was the only drama they had on the men's island. In one of the episodes, Vic has a dispute with one of the cameramen, Sam. Unlike Naked and Afraid, the cameramen have to participate in the game too. Also, side note, there were two Sams, and this is a different Sam from the one I mentioned earlier who got lost. That being said, Sam's value to the group is very abstract because Sam is creative. The unfortunate truth is that generally, the majority of creative people don't produce anything useful. However, if you don't have any creative people, your society will falter to the ones that do. In this regard, there are two things that have to happen in a functioning group or a functioning person. One, you have to repeat patterns and strategies that work, and two, you have to discover new patterns and strategies that are more effective and less time-consuming than the old ones. So if the men's team wants to be effective, they need to do the daily chores, but they also need to be venturing out into the island to discover new territory. They need to be trying new tricks, they need to be inventing new technologies, and they need to learn how to scale their economy. This is where Sam, the useless daydreaming cameraman, comes in. Sam reportedly doesn't work hard unless he is really interested in the idea. That idea is a fishing net. The net was something they found amongst all the trash that washed up on shore. They found a lot of items that way. People saw the fishing net as a waste of time because it failed previously, but against everyone's wishes, Sam goes to work on the net in an attempt to catch more fish. He fails. Now released from wood duty, Sam sets off to check his nets. I'm pretty positive. Despite the group's hostility, Sam's convinced his nets will work. I refuse pessimism to seep in. Absolutely refuse Optimism it. Optimism it is then. Optimism it is. Nothing. Very predictable. It's a waste of energy, time, fuel, everything. Stop fanning around and start doing something worthwhile. Vic gets mad about Sam's failure and treats him even worse than before. This is a big deal because Vic is one of the most valuable members on the team, especially when it comes to collecting food. However, Sam refuses to fall in line and continues to work on the fishing net despite the failure, and that makes Vic even more mad. Vic? Yo! Do you trust me? 
I would never trust a stranger. Okay. Am I a stranger? Yeah, at first you were. Okay. It's taken me longer to get used to you than it has any other guys, because they sound a little bit like me. So, unfortunately, I, I don't trust you. Yeah. Interesting. Vic is mad because he doesn't like politicians, and he says that Sam sounds like a politician rather than someone who is working class like he is. But there is one thing that's for certain, which is that creativity requires tons of trial and error and tons of failure. Failure is a part of the process of learning new things. The problem is that in survival, failure has harsh consequences. However, eventually everyone gets desperate because there's no food, and they run to help Sam with the nets. If you catch something, fishing nets require more than one person to pull them out of the ocean. And well, this time, Sam succeeds. Yes! No way! There's a lot of whooping coming from those nets, people. I wanted was just a fish, one fish. How many fishes have we got? Vic is the most successful fisher in the group and has saved the day many times when people were hungry. At best, I believe Vic caught six fish in one day. In this case, Sam caught 21 fish in one day while expending way less energy and time than Vic would have used catching that many fish. Here is Vic being a good sport about it, admitting he was wrong, and letting Sam know that he has earned his respect. Sam's determination has been amazing with them nets. Oh, I'm really happy that you can see that. Yes, I couldn't. I won't deny it, I couldn't see it at all. I just thought, well, you're a big city fanny. But uh, the big city fanny's done good. Sam, farmer, my heart comes off to you, sir. Well done you for having the balls and the determination to fix them every time because that certainly weren't my cup of tea at all. So Vic learns the value of creativity, and this is why, although often annoying and seemingly useless, creative people are needed. If you can afford creativity through excess resources or time, it can be one of the most valuable components of your group or your society. I think it also shows why, no matter who you are, you need some creativity in your life. You don't have to be a full-on inventor, but if you want a lot of success, you can't just play the same game every single day. You have to spend time learning new skills and discovering new ways to market those skills. You also have to work hard, be willing to take risks, and accept that a ton of failure is a part of the process. If you don't do those things, don't complain about how everyone else is successful while you aren't. If your strategies don't work, you need to find new strategies. There's a second lesson in this episode that I think is valuable because a lot of people are looking for acceptance. If you watch the episode, you can see how Sam is on thin ice with most of the group, but then a few moments later, they are cheering his name. He got everyone to like him, and he did that by being useful. This is something that a lot of people are missing. If you want to have friends, if you want to have people like you, if you want to have people respect you, the primary way you earn that is by being productive and providing value to other people. If you don't provide value to anyone, people aren't going to like you. Well, maybe that's inaccurate. The only people who will like you are people who also don't provide any particular amount of value, 
So you'll have friends who are worthless if you have friends at all. If you want to change that, you need to actually produce something. You need to be useful. And with that sentiment, I think this video has gone on long enough. So if you liked it, hit the like button, subscribe if you're new, comment and share. If you would like to support this channel, then you can do so with PayPal, Patreon, or Subscribestar. You can find all of those links in the description. Last, if you haven't checked me out on BitChute or Parlor, you can also find those links in the description. Otherwise, thanks for watching, and I'll see you in the next video.